Welcome to Culture Bites, where we take culture theory and turn it into everyday insights. We're powered by Human Synergistics, and our mission is to change the world one organization at a time. We can only do that together with our amazing community, so thank you for listening. Hey, Liana. Hey, Dom. So I got a question the other day around recruitment and using the circumplex or mm-hmm. the lifestyles inventory. So in the last episode, we actually talked about you know, development sessions, framing it up as a development session rather than an appraisal, because that's what the tool is designed for. A lot of people ask, though, you know, how can I use it to spot a constructive candidate or what can I do in that space? Mm. So what's your view on that? Well, it's uh, is a really common one, actually. You know, so organizations that are going through change, you know, they're thinking about how do we, they get really excited by the constructive behaviors and they think, mm. how do we apply this in everything that we do? Mm. So I love the momentum behind that, which is, you know, what got me thinking, you can't put people through LSI at the interview phase, but if what you're trying to achieve is move towards a constructive culture, you probably want to start identifying some of those behaviours of new recruits. Absolutely. So why can't you put someone through the LSI at an interview phase, recruitment phase, even internal, right? At the, well, it, at its very core, it's designed for personal development. So the norming group is set up to complete the lifestyles inventory for their own personal confidential development. So the norming group in itself would not be comparing apples with apples at its at its core. You know, if we were telling people, can you complete this survey on the basis of whether you're suitable to a job, we're probably going to find the results would look quite different. It's going to look like an ideal circumplex, yeah, right? Because yeah, I'm going yeah. to tick all the boxes no, I know I'm you totally want to totally results-oriented, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, you know, and because people aren't dumb, right? they're going to yeah. tell you what you want to hear. Whereas what it's designed for, of course, is to help people uh, develop. And to do that, you've got to be honest. You've got to have a frank assessment of yourself. Definitely. And, that, and that's why we also, as part of you know, the way we operate, we don't send a copy to the boss. We don't send a copy to anyone else. It belongs to the participant. And the reason is because they need confidence that it's actually about their development, yeah, not about, you know, being assessed for the next promotion. Yeah. That said, though, you can still use the concepts, right, the, mm. the behaviors, the lens of the circumplex in order to assess candidates. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think I was I took for granted how, you know, working for human synergistics and working amongst a lot of very constructive people, how it kind of becomes nature for us to kind of pick up what it looks like, mm. which was my thinking when I was writing that blog around how to, how to spot a constructive applicant. Should I share some of the... Yeah, absolutely. What, what are the tips? What would you look for? Well, one of the things that I've noticed about people who are high in achievement and self-actualizing is that they, they're able to talk about their strengths and where they have been able to achieve outcomes in a way that's not about bragging, you know, being mindful that in an interview you're trying to, you're trying to put sell your yourself. best foot forward yeah. and sell yourself. But I find the interesting thing about achievement-oriented individuals is they talk about their journey, their growth, their learning versus, mm. you know, so it's, you know, they would talk about what they've delivered, what the results look like you know, what they learnt in the process, for example. So it's not necessarily like a fixed state. Mm. It's an ongoing ongoing learning, which is achievement self-actualizing in a nutshell. So it's almost, I guess some of the words to watch is like people talking about being, you know, the number one in my team or something like that, which could, could indicate, you know, that they're more of that competitive mindset. Yeah. 
you've probably got to scratch a little on some of these because, you know, like we said, going into a job interview, you've kind of got to stand out, right? Yeah. I mean, that's what a job interview... Yeah, you want to be better than the other candidates. Essentially is, right? Yeah. That's what it is. So, you know, you've got to take that into account, I guess, right? And, Definitely. And think about that. But it's another really interesting one for me, and this is probably the whole way job interviews and CVs and whatnot are set up, is it's always like, I delivered this, I delivered that. And it's, you know, how much stuff in a business do you do entirely alone? Totally. But you kind of can't. I've read, I remember reading websites, it's like, yo, don't say the we word. Well, um, but I'm, that's true, right? It's the reality of it is we as a team delivered this. And there's an I in team, but, you know. There's a, you know, I kind of, I, but I am actually, I'm quite clued into the I, 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 because mm. I, I find it's a very common, you know, without stereotyping often when there is, People who are more task-oriented often have a preoccupation with proving themselves. And so there will be a lot of I, 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 this is what I did. I am also looking for the we. We can talk about the we, what we achieved, and we can identify our role in that achievement. Right. What was the role I played? And that as well is achievement orientation. I know the key strengths I hold and what others bring to the table and as a collection what we're able to achieve. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, the thing about achievement styles is it's not being bashful about Mm. What you can do, right? Totally. But it's been frank and direct, I guess, or whatever you want to call it, straight. And I often find people who are high in achievement also know where they, their effort doesn't work, you know, where they're not interested. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with saying, look, this is where my efforts will make the most difference, you know, so I'm less of an analytical person. I'm probably, I'm better off if you put me in front of a group of people. Mm. That's where my strengths lie. And I think that's one of the fascinating things. To me, the difference between achievement and perfectionistic is perfectionists often feel a drive that they've got to master everything, right? They've got to do everything, even if they have zero interest in it. Mm. You know, like in studying that school, it's some subject they have no interest in, but they will still put in the hours to do it. Um, whereas achievement people tend to, they'll put their effort where they have energy. Yeah, right? and where, where, it, where it will make a difference. And where it counts. Yeah. yeah, where it counts. Totally. Yep. Okay, so talking to a Strengths without bragging. What what other things are you looking for? So another really great one is talking about past failures. So it comes back to the learning piece. There's a degree of comfort I find with constructive individuals, an acceptance of self, and they're then they don't need to be perfect and can acknowledge. You know what? When things have gone wrong, what you've done to rectify it. So uh-huh. not trying to create a facade of perfection. And that becomes really important in particular if you're recruiting for someone in a leadership role because wanting to maintain an appearance of perfection or of you know, always looking good uh. can often be underpinned by some unrealistic expectations, which not only applies to yourself but to others. And so if you're, as a leader, you, you do want individuals to be comfortable with individuals failing or making mistakes so that they can learn. Uh, I've always found that question interesting in interviews, like, you know, name three times you've failed or what's your biggest flaws or whatever. Mm. And, I mean, you know, people are careful on what they say, right, because you don't want to perhaps reveal too much, but you've got to be real at the same time. And I think, you know, we're often like, oh, I, I care too much or something, something yeah, like yeah. that, you know. You often hear Which, people say, oh, I'm a perfectionist and that's my weakness or it's my... But really, they think it's a, it's a hidden they're, strength. They're, like they're disguising it. Yeah, yeah, it's the Trojan horse <laughs> of, you know, I care too much about this. But actually, that could be revealing. 
anyway because it probably means they are a perfectionist, right? And so you could you Possibly. could drill into that. Yeah, um, and it, it's not like um, you're not looking for you know to sort of shed light on when you're asking that question around failure. What, what I think people are really wanting to get at is you know a level of resilience and ability to bounce mm-hmm. back, back and learn from so and create opportunities out of and ownership ownership yeah mm. owning it absolutely i remember i when my first job i worked for a logistics company and i had this shipment so i'd have to organize exports for this wine company i had to drop these containers it was around christmas time or something and i was supposed to drop them extra early because of christmas and i forgot and then by the time I did, it was like there was a problem. There's no food grade containers at the port. And so, you know, it was all these compounding issues. I had to get it cleaned out and then it had to dry, but it was raining. And so we couldn't, uh, I had to sign a release saying like we would dry them on site or whatever, which thinking back was probably not a good idea because if the <laughs> export had gone bad, I was probably liable for like a million dollars of cargo or something. I hope you got away with that. Yeah. Well, yeah. And then, <laughs> So then we ship, I go to send the containers on the rail and the train derails. Oh, no. I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't make it up. It was just mistake after mistake. And then they pack them and now the guy I usually deal with is away. So it's the managing director I'm talking to. And the usual guy in, at the train company is on holiday. So I'm talking to someone else. And there's a miscommunication between me and him. And so they're sending them back. The containers don't get on the train and therefore they miss the boat. And I was like, oh, my God. And I had to call up the managing director. I'm like, it's all right. I've I've worked out another way we can. I was coming to Australia, actually, from New Zealand. I was like, oh, there's another way we can get there. If I kind of rail it across the country, I can catch this other boat. So it gets there, you know, three days later rather than a week, which was probably me overdoing it, right? I probably should have just accepted that I had failed at that point. Because when I sent it, it turned out there was a tunnel on the way and these containers were too high to fit through the tunnel. So they got discharged back where they started. And I had to call the matching director and say, I hope you've got a sense of humor. And he said, I don't. <laughs> and I, <laughs> what was the result? What happened? Well, they, so they went back and so it was a week late. But it was all right in the end, you know, but uh, my tail was between my legs for sure. Well, I like what you did in that story because what you actually did was you were persistent to the very end to reach that goal. My intentions were good the whole way. <laughs> like, So the train derailed and I organized for a truck to come and pick it up off the train, derailed train, it picked the container up. So I was all in. I was trying to get it fixed, but, you know, it's just one of those situations where it kept going from bad to worse kind of thing. But isn't it interesting because in that story, if I was to ask you that in an interview, I would hear, you know, persistence. I'd hear you owning up and taking responsibility, you know, responding to a crisis. And then also you took the problem to a managing director, was it, with another solution. So it's you know, what I hear in that is a lot of achievement. And so I guess that's it, right? It's, you know, it's having a bit of a laugh about some of those things. Yes. I guess, right? You know, like we can have a laugh about some uh, mistakes and whatnot. And, and not get caught the, in tears over the, it. The problem, because I, I initiated that whole thing by not dropping them on time, right? So it ultimately was my fault. You know, you could try and excuse the train and the weather and all that stuff. But ultimately it was up to me. But anyway, it was, it was, it was a fun story and it's, to my boss's credit at the time, actually, he didn't come down too hard on me, so, oh, so I got away with it. But uh, And the funny thing was, I was actually changing jobs. I was being prom- promoted to a sister company, and what, so, so I, I, have so to I ask, left like a week or two later. What did you learn from the situation? <laughs> well, some of it is to, um, you know, some of it is to not throw good money after bad or whatever, yeah, okay. right? It's to, <laughs> like, 
sometimes it's to accept that you know it's gone wrong, and um, you know, give the give the <laughs> give the news on that though, right? Because I think part of it as well is I don't want to admit defeat, or I didn't want to have that conversation with the yeah. managing director, like oh, it's going to be a week late, so I was trying to solve it. So in some ways, it's it's positive, but it just kind of kept making it worse. Whereas sometimes you just need to stop. It's like me at home. I'll try and fix something, and I usually end up making it worse. And my <laughs> wife tells me, "Don't, don't Time get, to outsource don't it. get involved." Yeah, <laughs> I got this, and uh, I make it ten times worse. And then we outsource it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that was a bit of a tangent, but ability to talk comfortably about past failures. What, what else? What else are you um, looking for? I am always looking for an inherent value in what someone's trying to achieve. So a goal that's important to mm. someone and. I think that's really important. There's a, a, a woman called Angela Duckworth who's done a lot of work on grit. Mm-hmm. Great research, if anyone's interested in the work that she does. It really correlates nicely to self-actualizing and achievement. There's a sense of um, attachment to the goal. So I'm not just here for a job, but mm. um, I have an interest in you know learning about this space or and what we uh, do. Yeah, what you do because it, if there are a lot of people out there that probably sort of say, "Oh, a job's just a job." I'm sort of evangelical in the sense that if you're going to spend five out of seven days doing something, you know, give yourself the opportunity to do something you care about, Mm. something that you can, to quote Matthew Croxford, lay your head on the pillow at the end of the night and actually say, I've done something that's meaningful to me. Mm. And so for individuals that have goals and direction that they care about means that they're probably going to be determined, I suppose, to drive themselves towards excellence. Right, so it's why are they getting involved in this company? So why are What's you interested why? in in being here? And sometimes with that why question, everyone feels like, well, I need to be doing something that's saving the world. You know, I need to be curing world hunger or I need to be finding the next cure for cancer or mm. something like that, which is a very powerful why, right? And, you know, a lot of NGOs and whatever can have some quite powerful whys. But what about, you know, I'm... Um, in a corporate role or um, say say it's a FMCG or something, people can still find that why, right? I think it's not so blatant, it's not so obvious maybe as, you know, yeah. curing a disease or whatever, but it's about bringing enjoyment to people's lives or it's about, yeah. you know, giving people healthy meals or whatever, you know? Yeah, I've um, worked with individuals who love organising. They just love organising people. They get such a kick out of... Yeah, like right. if you take the office administration role or PA or uh, there's a whole range of different tasks that you can be doing in that space. Event planner or something. Yeah. They love getting into people's messy lives. You know, if you think about someone who works in a really mm. kind of strategic visionary and they like helping them to create some order, mm. get so much joy out of that. Mm. And I just think like I couldn't think of doing anything worse, but to them that's what gives them a kick and what they feel good about every yeah, day. Right. So you're totally right. It doesn't have to be about saving the world. Yeah, so it's tapping into, is this person actually passionate about what they're doing? Yeah. Or at least have enough you know, interest to drive them to to want to do more. Because otherwise, if, if you've got no interest in doing it, then you, know, you can't possibly put in your best work. It's like, I don't know, was it this podcast or the last one where we talked about achievement individuals put their effort where it counts? Yeah. You know, and so it's got to count to them and when for you, whatever reason. It does have to count. And when you care about something, you're also looking for ways of making it better. You know, mm. how can I do this differently? So not just doing the job, but improving the job. Yeah. And if you don't care about it, you're probably just going to tick over, tick the box, which is where some of the passive 
styles and, and, come out. And for the candidate themselves, I mean, that sucks too. Yeah. <laughs> right? No one boring. wants to be in a job where you're just turning up, clocking in, clocking out. Yeah. You know, we might want some stability like that, but find something to get excited about. And I think part of it is actually you've got to build your own passion and your own drive for something, you know. So I've worked in industries we're going in. I didn't know that much about it, but I really built an interest in it. You know, yeah. as, you, as you get kind of deeper layers in the game or whatever, you build this interest in things that you never would have even thought about before when you're outside the company. Mm. But suddenly as you learn more, it gets more and more interesting, mm. you know. And actually you raise a valid point there. You know, if you're recruiting young people, mm. sometimes it's difficult for them to articulate what they're really excited about in a work context. So, you know, if that's the case, sort of shift the focus and get them to talk about what excites them outside of work to see if there is something there. Because sometimes you just don't know what you don't know. And it's probably on the, you know, that's probably a question as a candidate that you would ask or as the company, you've probably got to talk about purpose as well, right? So what's the purpose of this company? Mm. Why does it matter? Because I think some, you know, a lot of sexy brands or whatever have very obvious purposes or, you know, people can get excited and passionate about them really easily. But what about other ones which maybe aren't consumer brands, you know, talking about the city council or something? How mm. do they recruit people? And so they've got to talk about why what they do makes a difference in people's lives. Yeah. Um, which they can, right? But it's just not as famous and as kind of sexy as some of these other things. Yeah. Do you know, it's um, I was, it's so true. It's really important to create that vision and that, that why do we exist statement as an organization. I had someone in someone talking once, I think they worked for a train company or a bus company mm-hmm. and, you know, they were reflecting on the fact that when they hang out with their friends that do all these exciting roles and they, they sort of look at her and think, what's exciting about transport? And she said, mm. I move people from, in my role in this business, we're responsible for moving people between, you know, their employers and their, their home, getting them home safely, mm-hmm. connecting people from different mm-hmm you know, friends across suburbs, whatever it is. So she put a totally different lens on what public transport was actually That's right. They keep the city moving, right? Yeah. Without without that, we would uh, break down. Business wouldn't work and, Mm. you know, all that stuff. So actually it reminds me of the famous quote. I don't know how true it is, but it's a great story. Nonetheless, was Kennedy or something going to the NASA Space Center and he bumped into the janitor or saying, and he asked him, what do you do here? And he said, I send, you know, rockets to the moon. And it was all about that. So he was the janitor, but the team, the purpose, right? He helped enable people to actually get man to the moon, mm. you know, because he was part of that team. So his part of it was cleaning and make sure the facilities were up to scratch and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, he understood the significance of his role. But the significance was mm. that he was part of the team that were achieving this objective that's cool all right so what else so they're clear on kind of why they're interested on the goal um yes we've been talking a lot about goal task orientation haven't we but i suppose Mm. there's also the other side of the circumplex which is people we sort of touched on it when we talked about the i versus we language because Mm. obviously constructive is there is a balance between task and people so i talk about the ability to connect on a human level. So that's about how do you how do you identify when individuals are able to strike a balance between task and people. Uh-huh. So if you've got a really great technical expert, I'd be paying attention to examples that they're able to give you about the relationships that they've had with people in their teams uh-huh. or how they have worked with others. Now people often ask questions about 
collaboration in interviews. And so we can all throw a tagline out there about our ability to work in teams. Mm. But I suppose I would be interested in getting individuals to get to the heart of the matter of the quality of their relationships with others. So coming up with examples about potentially how they've helped others to grow. Uh, What about a challenging one? So I'm just thinking to myself about how have you disagreed with someone in your team? Great question. But kind of still move forward. Yeah, great question. Because I guess it's trying to differentiate between being nice in the team, being passive, and being productive yeah. an achievement. So how, how have we maintained a relationship through a disagreement, through yeah. you know when we're at different ends of the idea? How have you dealt with that situation? Something like that yeah. would be interesting. It would be a great question to ask. Also, you know, and funnily enough, this came out in my interview when I was being interviewed at Human Synergistics, <laughs> the ability to share about yourself. Mm. So uncomfortable for some and perhaps you know, culturally incongruent even for some businesses to do that. But again, if you're thinking about leadership, an individual's ability to share more of who they are in, is demonstrating a degree of openness and permission for people to bring themselves to work to a degree. So you're not checking your personality at the door, mm. but we appreciate that you have a family. You have you a know, life outside yeah, of work. Yep. And that you bring more than just your job title mm. to work. And so I think that people who are able to sort of share more of who they are, you know, this is what's important to me, I have a family, or this is what I, I really like to do, maybe I, I play an interesting instrument, whatever it is. Yeah, right. The ability to share more, it's a humanizing, I guess, behavior. Yeah, it's an interesting one, that, because I think often we feel as a job applicant, you have to come in very professional. At the end of the day, people want to work with a person. Yes. <laughs> you know, they want to work with a person. And they say... People usually hire someone that they get on with, right? Because they have to sit next to them or whatever it is. So I think being personable and someone you can actually work with on a human level Mm. is important. Yeah, and the affiliative side often gets kind of forgotten about sometimes, particularly in corporate businesses. And you notice that when you ask people what's the ideal leader or the ideal culture, it always is just a little bit lower than the other constructive styles. Mm. Um, But I like to think about the affiliative side as, you know, fundamentally essential. And why is that important? It's because if I have a good relationship with you and you feel like I understand you and know who you are as a whole person, you know, from a task-oriented individual, it's actually a lot easier to get that individual to do things for you, you know, like if you need to pick up the phone and we need to get things done in a hurry. If you've already established it's the foundation. Yeah, the foundation and a good yeah. relationship, you know, people are more likely and more willing to to go the extra mile. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Very true. And, you know, it's it's one that's harder to, because in your CV, what do you put? You know, I did X and achieved Y kind of statements, right? You know, I did this project and we saved $20 million or something. No one really puts, and I, I don't know how you'd do it, but no one really puts, you know, I had fantastic relationships <laughs> with my team and supported them to achieve more together. And so it's harder to quantify, perhaps. And that's probably why you need to do it through the conversation, through mm. the questioning, mm. try to get to, okay, what, how do they work with other people? And it, you could talk about your philosophy of leadership or management of people. You know, That'd what are the principles that you lead by? Mm-hmm. And then you just have to test those principles in an interview, potentially. It's mm. an interesting way of looking at it. Mm. Okay, so connecting on a human level and sharing a bit of themselves personally, which actually when I was... Listening to you, I was thinking about in the circumplex, the bottom half security orientated, right? And the top half satisfaction. So it's about 
if you're going into that security zone, you're not going to share stuff because it's vulnerable, right? You're opening yeah. yourself up. Mm. So maybe that's a sign of that. All right. What, um, what other ones do we have? I suppose, you know, I've, some of the... Some of the interview panels that I've been on, I have found myself being a little disappointed when applicants don't have questions uh, for the business. Uh, and it's either that you've had such a fantastic interview and all your, your questions have been answered, or I guess I'm hesitant about, you know, has this individual really thought about the business and whether it suits their needs? Because uh, interviews are two-way, and I would also as a business like to be interviewed by the applicant and so having them come with questions indicates they've thought about, okay, well, what is the business that will work for me and what's important to me in a role? Again, going back to my earlier comment about five out of seven days and being clear where your effort makes a difference, achievement, where your values are aligned, you'd probably have some questions for the I business. I would still I'd have a question about who you're working with too, who's in the team. Yeah. Because you're going to spend those five days out of seven with these people, so... Who the heck are they? You yeah, know, that, that's they? pretty important. How do you come together? How do you build relationships with each other? Like, I, And if, if there are people going for jobs, then you know, maybe that's a question that you might be asking to understand, you know, what happens in, in your team meetings when you disagree? Mm. Or, you know, how do you guys make decisions mm. around here? These are really important things to know if you want to. It's interesting, though, as a candidate, I remember, you know, say you ask a question about what's your, what's your culture. Most people can't answer that question anyway because they don't have the language around it but if you're listening to this podcast i suppose you do but the circumplex but it's around if you're an applicant it can be asking the why 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 behind that right so what's your culture and people often say oh you know we have beers on a friday and we have a great time which doesn't really answer the question right because it's mm. not fundamentally what's driving the behavior and ask okay well how do you do that you know, how do you set it up not how do you organize friday drinks but like how do you maintain that kind of relationship. Yeah. And, you know, it would be interesting actually to create a blog on this. <laughs> what questions might you ask as an individual? In that instance, you might ask, you know, who's responsible for creating social events and who comes along and what does it look like? I think that if I was curious about culture as an applicant, I might be asking the questions like, you know, how do decisions get made? Mm. Do you, the values are dot, dot, dot. Do you think... You live them. Yeah. How or how does how, the how do you live them? them? That's a better question. Yeah, that's yeah. a better question. Yeah. Because my one was a bit too, <laughs> bit too. What would we see people oppositional? Do? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, what do you see people do? That'd be interesting, right? And it's probably a different question that they might struggle to answer, and that might be quite revealing. Or ask, you know, the values: are they live day to day, or are they aspirational? Mm. And because I don't think there's anything wrong with having aspirational values as long as you're clear that that's what they are. Yeah. Right. So we're not just saying this is how it is, even though we all know that's not the case. The unwritten rules are completely different. You need something to aim for. So nothing wrong yeah. having the aspiration, but being real about that. Yeah. And if can they be honest about that? That would be fascinating. Yeah. And, so, and that brings me to sort of point around this that you, one of the caveats I suppose I have of recruiting constructive applicants. You know, because that's how businesses say, you know, you want to recruit someone to fit the culture. Mm. If you're going through culture change, you probably want to recruit for the aspirational culture, potentially. Yes. Rather than, you know, to fit in with what we currently have if, if what you're driving to is change. And so with that in mind, you know, you can make all your best efforts to recruit someone constructive. But if your culture has a prevailing message of defensive styles, 
it might be challenging for them to stay constructive. Yeah, so you need to do both. I I, yeah. I listened to the Netflix book recently about their culture, and a lot of it was around hiring constructive people as they saw it, right? So, mm. and and that is a powerful way of shifting culture as well as hiring people. But you got to be careful that you don't hire someone constructive, put them into a defensive environment, and then you know they'll slowly yeah. it will change them most likely right unless you can you gotta do both maybe at the same time be moving both That's of those right. dials. And be honest like you said be honest about it being an aspiration i'm working with a team at the moment who they've introduced some more constructive players in their team because they're trying to shift from passive mm. up to constructive and it was very clear during the interview process that this is what we're trying to move towards and it's really beneficial for us to have someone in the group that can role model you know, more people were modeling what constructive could look like because the team simply didn't know what the behaviors look like. And so that's almost the organizational equivalent of being able to speak to your strengths without bragging or being comfortable with past failures and so on. It's being straight yeah. up about this is the real situation. Yeah. And, you know, I know I'd rather work for a company that could be talk about it, right? And be straight up about these are the good things, these yeah. are the challenges. Don't pretend to be something that you're not. Don't pretend to be saying that you're not as a company and a manager that I'd be much more interested in working for. So that could be a whole nother episode that maybe maybe we should do. Next time. Yeah. So if I can sum up a couple of points. So some of the ones I took out of this was around not using the LSI as a tool for recruitment itself, right? It's not designed for that purpose. It's not really going to give you what you want, but you can use the understanding of the circumplex, the understanding of behaviors to then be able to spot this stuff in interviews mm -hmm. And in applicants. Behaviors and language. And language is a big one. That's yeah. right. And so we talked about, you know, people being able to speak to their strengths without bragging, mm -hmm. being comfortable with past failures and talking about that, having a goal that means something to them. So why work for this organization? Are they actually aligned to it? Mm. Do they care? Being able to connect on a human level. Mm. So around, okay, you know, can they actually work with the team how do they talk about the team how do they talk about the current or past teams yep and situations with that and then having questions for you so yeah. are they curious? curious yeah absolutely fantastically well i think that was a good little summary of you know how people can spot that yeah good luck yeah good luck let it's, us know how you go with those it's not it's not it's not easy actually right because you know, it's like being on a first date or something. You kind of meet, you're meeting my representative or something, you know, not exactly me. Often. Yeah. Well, yeah, your defenses are a little bit up, you know, a bit of anxiety. So you got to factor that in, don't you? Exactly. you got to factor that in. Yeah. I think that's the thing. All right. That's a good note to end on. Thanks for your time, Liana. Oh, thanks, Doc.